0: Thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, Episode 202, The Return of a Hero. As May 1945 opened up, Pappy and the other prisoners watched as the bombings around them, mostly focused on Tokyo, increased to a daily occurrence, and the number of Allied planes overhead also increased. Yes, this war would be over soon, but before that moment, hopefully, the prison camp would not be visited by any of those earth-shattering bombs. Boeington, as was his wont, thought about this wider crazy situation and how it affected him. Could it be that he survived so many air battles, survived getting shot down and ending up as a special prisoner, which actually meant he had less rights than most, that he might die at the end of it all, and at the end... This mad war. Oh, and special prisoners were not allowed access to bomb shelters during raids. No, their fate was in the lap of the gods. But overall, Pappy stayed calm and assessed his situation in military terms, as his training dictated. For one, the island they were on prevented the fires from the mainland from reaching them. Secondly, not that Pappy knew this, but their area was just outside the target zone. So overall, minus a stray bomb, they should be safe. If one can be safe having a front row seat to a daily bombing demonstration from hundreds of planes all at one time. And there were stray bombs, to be sure. But besides adding a little too much excitement to the prisoners' lives, they remained unharmed. The downside of this, though, was having the opportunity to witness the thousands of rats and other creatures flee the mainland and either swim over or cross the causeway to get refuge on their island. Equally as bad were the floating, bloated corpses now surrounding their island. The Japanese officers responsible for psychological torture could not have come up with a better method. Of course, the prisoners cheered the bombings, but not so as the guards could witness them. The men called the drone of the bombers approaching overhead the music, and again smiled when they could. Not that the prisoners were immune to this music. When Pappy was walking back from the latrine, a bomb landed on the causeway, which ripped a 20 section foot made of concrete and deposited a few feet from where he was. That had been near the beginning of May, but by the end of the month, Pappy and all the others were cowering in their huts when these 500 bombers droned overhead each day to re-blast any surviving pieces of the Tokyo-Yokohama area. And these were incendiary devices, so the danger lasted long after the bomb had detonated. But if a true measure is needed of what the Japanese people went through, The results of those bombings were so horrific, even Pappy felt bad for the locals. The prisoners were taken out during the day to help clean up, sometimes going to the outskirts of Tokyo. What would they see? The once-proud Japanese people shuffling along, asking, Have you seen any of my family members? Do you have a place to sleep tonight? Do you know where any food is? The prisoners did as they were told, and were only too happy to return to their island at sunset. And then, something changed. The prisoners picked up on it immediately, that the guards were anxious, very much so. It was August 6th. Only slowly, with snatches of the guards' conversation filtering down to the men, did they piece together a story. There was a massive raid, larger than all the others before. A city had been completely destroyed. But to Pappy... This was too much. Yes, a city could be devastated with a single massive bomb raid, but it could not be completely destroyed. Certainly not with a single bomb. Just more wild rumors. Peppy had been around long enough to know, the wilder the rumor, the bigger the crash of hope when it inevitably gets proven wrong. Then the rumor said that it was Hiroshima that had been laid to waste. The debates of the veracity of this report continued for days. That is, until another rumor started going around that Japan's largest city, Nagasaki, had also been decimated. Apparently, the two cities were hit with an atom bomb. But still, could it be true? Next, the prisoners heard that 100,000 people had died at Hiroshima, and around 75,000 people had died at Nagasaki. But this did not bring the POWs joy No, if these rumors were true, and the U.S. had a powerful atomic bomb, then surely Tokyo was next. And given their proximity, they would become victims too. Fortunately, next came something other than rumors. Things the men saw or heard for themselves. Back in late July, one prisoner saw men, who were clearly not Japanese, loading up boxes of documents into a truck One man saw the prisoners and informed them that they had worked for the German embassy in Tokyo. The war in Europe was over, and soon it would be the same here. Soon after, a guard told Pappy, Just hang in there. This will be over in a month. But to the paranoid American, and Pappy was not the only one, would this mean that the guards would kill them in revenge for losing the war? The Allied troops could picture no other outcome, given everything that they had been through. On the morning of August 15th, Emperor Hirohito himself addressed his people via radio. For the vast majority, it was the first time that they had heard his august voice. But his words did not bring them happiness, but perhaps relief. He said the war was over, in so many words, but the people understood this message. However, Boynton had not been in on this first rush of news as he was suffering from yellow jaundice. Only after a depressed guard told him, Pappy was brought up to speed. Still recovering from the news, Pappy watched as campmates were brought back early from their work detail. This had never happened before, and witnessing it was just as shocking to Pappy as was news of the war. Pappy's worldview turned on its head again as British POWs, also returning, were loudly and proudly singing songs of celebration, victory, and, of course, home. Normally, this would lead to instant death by decapitation, but the guards just continued to sulk. Perhaps this really was the end, after all. And yet. That night, one of the guards, who was more friendly, told the prisoners that some of his mates planned on getting drunk and killing them all, that he would do what he could, but there was only one of him. No, the prisoners had better be ready to fight for their lives. Backing up this wild story, this guard gave the men a hammer and some nails to help seal off the door. Sure enough that night, Pappy and others heard drunken Japanese banter as the guards approached. Bowington grabbed the hammer and stood at the door, ready to swing on anyone who pierced its entrance. Fortunately, though it took a while, the friendly guard talked the drunks out of it. He probably mentioned the court-martial and family shame that would soon follow. Drunk or not, that would resonate with these soldiers. That was a close call, but it was not over. Other rumors said that the locals wanted all the prisoners dead if Japan lost the war. So the prisoners planned as best they could. But what could one do if an entire country was against you? Proving their fear was just. After the war, a document was found that read, in part, whether they, the prisoners, are destroyed individually or in groups, or however it is done, with mass bombing, poison smoke, poisons, drowning, decapitation, or what, dispose of them as the situation dictates. The order ended with the chilling words, In any case, it is the aim not to allow the escape of a single one to annihilate them all and not leave any traces. It must be remembered that the West's rule of warfare was not observed in Japan. As long as they had these men in power, the obviously pending defeat would not save them. Why should it? More rumors came to the prisoners. This one said that the plan to kill them would consist of having them walk over the causeway, supposedly for work duty. But when they were out in the open, the guards were to open fire. As for the prisoners, if that happened, the men on the causeway and those in the huts would use that moment for a general rebellion. It would be each man for himself. Despite the seemingly hopelessness of this, the prisoners were excited, one way or another, this hell was about to end. Either they would find peace, or eventually end up back home. But since nothing in war has to make sense, suddenly the prisoners noticed significant changes when they woke up one morning. Waiting for them were fresh clothes and vitamins, and the men were moved to a different, though better, quarters. And looking around, Peppy saw that the more abusive guards were gone. That had to be a good sign. Next, U.S. naval observation planes flew over, low and slow, obviously taking photographs. After a few days of this, the U.S. Army started dropping 55-gallon drums, containing food, medicine, and again, clothing for the prisoners. But even this could not go right in the chaos of war. Some of the barrel's parachutes did not open up, sending the now-meteors to earth, unchecked. A few prisoners were killed when these barrels landed on their barracks. Something had to be done, so the officers put their men up in the towers to keep an eye out, but better yet, they painted on the barracks' roof, Please drop outside. And if that didn't work, they also painted "Bowington here. Then it dawned on Pappy that some of those crates had to contain alcohol. These were American shipments, by God. And the truth was, there was alcohol in there. But the senior officers had confiscated all of that, knowing that their men were far too weak to go on a bender. And Pappy was not rushing to go outside whenever the barrels started falling from the skies. No thank you. This period of suspended time ended on August 28th. That day, a naval plane dropped the following note. Hi, fellas. You'll be free by tomorrow. Our plane has landed on field nearby. Give the girls back home a kiss for me. Loads of luck. God bless you. Signed, Ensign L. Comisaric. As the U.S. Army was taking over the prison camps in the interior, it was the U.S. Navy that handled the camps along the coastline, which meant they were the ones to rescue Pappy. On August 29th, a parade of American warships sailed into Tokyo Bay. From these, landing barges emerged and sped towards the Omori prison camp, the inmates cheering their approach. One commander, Harold Stassen, was in charge of these landing barges, and he had been personally told by Admiral Halsey, they're our boys, now go and get them out. Japan's defeat was accomplished but its humiliation, to many, deservedly so, was only beginning. When the Higgins boat came ashore, sailors plunged three poles into the soil, each holding a flag. Pappy saw this, stood at attention, and saluted. Stassen wasted no time finding Pappy and said, God's sakes, Pappy, we didn't know you were alive until we saw that picture the plane took this morning. It was the picture of one of the rooftops, claiming Pappy was within these confines. Now, as the situation overall was fluid, this should have been a moment of observing the niceties, not something the U.S. Navy is known for. When the Japanese camp commander told Stassen that he himself did not have the authority to release these prisoners, Stassen skipped right over the diplomatic language and corrected the officer. You have no authority Period. We are under Admiral Halsey's orders, and those are the only orders that count in Japan now. Within 48 hours, the camp had been cleared of all Allied POWs. On August 29th, the rest of the world was told of Pappy's survival. Something like an electric wave passed over the people back home. Everyone was shocked. Well, that is, everyone but the other black sheep. They knew better than to count out the old man. Ever. As for Pappy, a Higgins boat took him to the hospital ship Benevolence. There he took a shower, was deloused, and then examined. And then the best part came. He had five servings of eggs and ham. Then, days later, on September 2nd, the former guest of the prison camp got to watch as 500 B-29s flew over Tokyo Bay a part of the official surrender ceremony. Also, a part of the ceremony was just over 250 Allied warships assembled nearby. The gamble that Yamamoto had warned of years ago of the threat of the industrial might of the U.S., should they not be cowered to the negotiating table, had come true and was manifesting itself around and over Tokyo. Another man there was Raymond Hap-Holloran, who had volunteered for the Army Air Force after Pearl Harbor. He had been a prisoner in a different camp, and his hatred of the Japanese was profound. But at that moment of the surrender ceremony, he became a little boy again, awed by the plane's ability to defy gravity and float among the clouds. Now the questions came, hard and fast at Pappy, not unlike, shells from a Japanese AA gun. He was stunned, overwhelmed, and could only reply that he was happy to be heading home. From there, he was taken to Tokyo, then Guam, and then Pearl, where he saw his old commander and benefactor, Major General Moore. And it was seeing this gratitude of the men around him that Pappy realized it was time to grow up. The feral, snot-nosed little kid was gone. Or at least disappearing. Pappy wrote of his short time in Pearl, I had decided to change my ways, accept my fate, and clean myself up. I felt that if the nation was going to honor me as a hero, I should honor the nation by acting like one. Or at least looking like one. That's progress. And it only took a war and almost two years of captivity to do it. But it couldn't last. Perhaps the hard wiring of a human cannot be changed. Pappy had a drink, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then he wrecked the jeep that General Moore had loaned him. Pappy was just being Pappy. Boeington was fetid everywhere he went, but it did not make him happy. All he wanted, and admitted as much, was to be loved and accepted. The little boy in him was still wandering, and the alcohol, pain, and fighting was just a way to cover that up, if only for a little while. Still, there had been growth. After the war, Pappy had this to say about the Japanese people. As far as holding a grudge, no, that would be silly. There are good and bad people everywhere. The Japanese civilians who had been bombed out and were always around us showed us respect, not antipathy. Many of them went out of their way to help us at great risk to themselves, slipping us food. When I think about how the Japanese civilians treated us as POWs in their country, I can only feel ashamed at how we treated our own Japanese Americans, taking their homes and businesses, and placing them in camps. From Pearl, another plane took him to San Francisco, where the celebrations kicked into high gear and Pappy liked the attention well enough, though sometimes it did become too much. But suddenly, it was all worth it, as several black sheep pilots showed up at the latest party. They lifted their leader onto their shoulders and carried him to the reception room. Their presence made it all bearable. But then Pappy remembered his promise to meet them all for a drink after the war, so they all headed to St. Francis's Hotel for that very special drink. But all this attention was only a distraction. As Boynton soon figured out, my drinking past was waiting back home to pick up where I left off, whether I wanted to or not. Pappy would spend the rest of his life realizing demons don't die and they rarely fade away. The best you can do is put them to sleep through constant vigilance. Unlike human enemies, they cannot be killed, only negotiated with. Postscript. Raymond Hap Halloran could not stop having nightmares about his time as a POW. This went on for decades, which partially explains his severe post-traumatic stress disorder, which also went on for decades after the war. Needing to try something for relief, Hap decided to try the one thing he could not imagine himself doing ever, forgiving his tormentors. In 1984, Hap contacted the U.S. ambassador to Japan to organize a trip. Working hard, Hap found the pilot that shot down his B-29 and the prison guards who beat and starved him, forgave them all in his search for peace. Actually, Hap would go to Japan a few times, meeting all he could and speaking to all who would listen. His goal was international bridge building, and he had mostly succeeded. In time, his nightmares faded away. What also helped was his long friendship with Colonel Pappy Bowington after the war. It was in 1999, now mostly freed of his trauma, that Hap wrote a memoir called Caps War. He died on June 7, 2011. Rest in peace, old warrior. Your war is done.